I was recently online in a Zoom room as part of a four-person team putting together a design outline for a workshop for a corporate client, and the term action learning was mentioned. And I thought, what is that term? I've heard it before, but I can't honestly say I know what it means and where it's used. But I need to have someone on the show who does. So today we have Shannon Banks, VP and Director of Scholarship and Grants at the WIAL. That's the World Institute of Action Learning based in Washington, D.C. And she's our guest this morning, although Shannon herself is actually based in the UK from where she runs her own training business, B Leadership. And that's something else we're going to share with you this morning, how Shannon left the corporate life at Microsoft, started her own training business journey, how she's growing that business and where she's taking it next. This is episode 110 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. It's my privilege and pleasure to welcome you to the show. If this is your first time here, welcome. If it's not your first time here, welcome back. And you know by now the format that we have of episodes where it's just time between you and me each week, each Thursday. Or as is the case today, we have a guest on the show to explore in depth a particular topic. As I said, if this is your first time here, well, why don't I tell you what the show's about? This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, training consultants just like you and me all around the world. And the goal of this episode and every episode of this show is to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. As I said before the music, today's guest is Shannon Banks. And Shannon is VP or Vice President and Director at the World Institute for Action Learning in Washington, D.C. And this morning, she's going to share what action learning is, how it works, where it's used, and how you can get certified. And Shannon's going to tell us the story and goals for her training business, Be Leadership. Shannon, hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. So what we'll do is we're going to have two parts to today. Um, first of all, I want to talk about action learning, because that's what brought me to your profile. And then we'll segue into talking about your business, which is Be Leadership. So first of all, give me some background to, to action learning specifically. My understanding is you were the first Action learning, uh, certified coach in the UK. So let's let's explain what that means and define action learning at the same time. All right. So there are quite a number of forms of action learning in use, but generally um, people accept that action learning is a peer coaching method that, like lots of other forms of coaching, uses questions and inquiry. And it's a small group of people that support each other in solving real problems, so real urgent problems. And there's a coach or a facilitator that supports the group. Um, so it's really about guiding people through questions to their own solutions. And that's that's the definition that's generally understood. Okay, so, so what kinds of situations would merit action learning? I mean, think of a, so a practical corporate 
challenge or solution where someone might say, you know what, we need action learning because this is the way to solve a particular problem we have? Yeah. So I work with the World Institute for Action Learning, and I use that method. Um, And we use action learning for a huge variety of challenges. So it can be something that's a business challenge um, that maybe is quite strategic and big and has lots and lots of different ways of approaching it and lots of different possible solutions. It could be a leadership challenge that someone's facing in their own leadership and, um, and personally. So it, 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 can, it can be either. Um, the important thing is that it's real and that it's urgent and that it's something that really needs a lot of, um, of thought and that there could be a lot of possible solutions for. Okay. Um, so in a practical sense, if, for example, someone calls me up and says, uh, we need action learning, how would you go about planning an action learning intervention qualifying is this the right environment for action learning to succeed what kinds of people would need to be involved what kinds of questions would have to be asked to build an action learning intervention because all of this is new to me i have to say i've heard this term mentioned many times i've never actually dug into or beneath the surface of what action learning is and and you know where it's used in an organization right so um it can come from like a number of different places within the organization so Sometimes we work with action learning because we've got a group of talent um, who the company wants to involve in something strategic. And sometimes it comes from an individual leader who has a specific challenge within their team. So I'll give you those two examples. It can come from a number of other sources, but those are two common um, sources. So let's take the first one. Um, So so oftentimes there is a leadership development team that's wanting to involve talent in some strategic challenges so that they get real world experience as they're developing themselves. And in that kind of scenario, they might come to us and say they would want to use action learning for that. Um, The important thing with that (laughs) is that the challenges that the talent work on are real and that they're not really being solved by other people. So if I might, I might give a story about how I was introduced to action learning way back when. It's really relevant. So I worked at Microsoft um, for a long time. And at one point, I took on a role that was a leadership development role working with our high potential talent. And as part of that, I was told I was going to be the thought leader for action learning. We had a thought, we had an action learning component as part of what we did. And I was told I was going to be the thought leader. And I was actually really... um, worried about that because action learning at Microsoft at this point, long time ago, did not have a great reputation. And so I started digging around to understand why. And what I learned was we weren't really using action learning. We were calling it action learning, but we used that term for any stretch project that we worked on. And um, in actual fact, the problems were often found by approaching vice presidents at the company and saying, hey, we've got this group of talent who need to work on something strategic. Can you help us identify some challenges? And when I talked to these VPs, they would say, you know, if we have important challenges, we've already got people working on them. And so I have two choices when that happens. One is to give them second tier problems, or the other is to give them something someone else is working on. So, of course, in that scenario, 
the talent are demoralized and not not engaged because it's, it's not real. Um, the other issue that we had at Microsoft at that point was that the behaviors people came into the problem solving with, they left with because there was no coach and there was no method. So the World Institute for Action Learning, I was introduced to that at that point and it solved both of those problems. So, um, so if someone comes to me from a talent side and wants to use action learning, I really stress that the problem needs to be actually real and not be addressed by someone else. Um, the other scenario is often that a leader might approach you and say they want to use action learning because they have, or they might not, they might not even know about it. They might say, I've got this problem in my business where I'm not working well with our stakeholders or, you know, it can be anything, some problem in their business. And that can be a great use for action learning because um, you can bring all the stakeholders and maybe even some people outside the problem together um, to try to work together on addressing that. Right. So for those people out there, and there are plenty of people who inevitably want to find out about the background of something, Reg Revens is recognized as the father of action learning. And after a long number of years of research, it, a model was developed, and that has now taken the form of six components and two ground rules. That's right. So what are those components and ground rules? Okay. So that's a great question. So um, first of all, let's start with the six components. Um, so first of all, you have a real and urgent problem, as I've been stressing, um, not theoretical. Um, you have an action learning coach who helps you to solve that problem and work on that together. Um, you have learnings. <laughs> it's very important that you actually pause to reflect and learn as you're working together. And there are real actions that are taken um, as a result of that learning. There's a small group that works together to solve the problem. And the problem solving uses questions. It's inquiry-led. So it's like those, coaching, yeah. Yeah, so those are the six components that we talk about when we talk about action learning. Okay, and are there specific ground rules? I'm, I'm aware of two specific ground rules of action learning. Absolutely, yes. So um, in the World Institute for Action Learning, we have one key ground rule that we use with our groups, which is questions can only be, uh, sorry, statements can only be made in response to a question. So it's all questions led. So statements can only be made in response to a question. And anyone can ask a question of anyone else. So the questions don't all have to be directed at the person whose challenge it is. Anyone can ask a question of anyone else. The other um, kind of ground rule that we have is that the coach is there and has the authority to intervene whenever they see an opportunity to improve the performance of the group or enhance their learning. Okay. So you're a master action learning coach and your VP for um, scholarship and grants at the World Institute for Action Learning. When it comes to people, I suppose, listening to this thinking, okay, we, we get the purpose of action learning, but what about the, the business side of action learning? If I want to sign up as a coach, qualify as a coach for action learning, where would the market be if I want to invest in a qualification and start then capitalizing upon that to, to bring in money? What, what kinds of tips would you give people so that they actually 
get a qualification, convert that into real revenue streams? Well, it's, it's interesting you ask because um, I actually got qualified while I was at Microsoft. So I was in a corporate role. So this really wasn't forefront in my mind. And since then I've left and I have my own company for now um, almost six years. And I use action learning so much and there's so much demand for it. And it's so effective and even in a virtual environment. So, um, so I think um, a few different things I guess I would advise. Um, one is that it's a tool like any other tool. And at least from my perspective, I don't like go to my clients pitching a tool um, I go and hear the problems that they're facing and then try to figure out the right approach for them. And I think it's fortunate that action learning does have quite a broad application. And so I listen to what my clients are saying. And if they're raising a challenge where I feel that a diverse group of people um, both need to and could help to solve this problem, then I think, oh, that could be a good use of action learning. Um, Also, action learning is really fantastic for increasing trust. And in fact, I have a colleague who did his PhD on team psychological safety and looked at action learning and and saw that action learning actually increases team psychological safety, which maybe is a term some of your listeners know and some don't, but uh, effectively trust within the group. And so Um, So I also listen for that, you know, if there are organizations that struggle, say, with kind of siloed um, approaches to problem solving or a team that doesn't appear to have a lot of um, a lot of trust um, amongst the members, then I think, oh, this could be a good use of action learning. But I mean, I tell all the people that I certify and work with that I don't think it's about selling the tool. It's about listening to your clients and what they what they need. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, that you don't necessarily go in with, with a hammer and say everything's a nail. <laughs> but by the same token, I, I know plenty of people, and I've been guilty of this myself, in collecting qualifications and certifications and then trying to find a market for them, which is kind of puts pressure on people then to say, okay, I've got, I've got Hogan, I've got Belbin, Colby, and now... I've got to make these things pay for themselves. Um, and that's, of course, a conundrum. So it's, it's, you're right. It's, it's understanding what your customers need, your clients need, and then choosing the appropriate tool from the toolbox. So you mentioned that you currently have a business. It's called Be Leadership. It's based in the UK. You had a substantial career at Microsoft. In fact, you're, you're so much of a Microsoft family member that uh, your husband is... Uh, <laughs> Also, a long-term employee of Microsoft, what made you leave the corporate life and and go and start your own thing? It's so interesting because I really both wanted to for lots of years and didn't think that I I wasn't sure if I'd enjoy it. So I definitely saw myself as kind of a corporate person um, and really loved corporate life and loved Microsoft. And I was there 17 years and as you say about my husband, um, he just celebrated his 25th anniversary on Friday. Congratulations. Uh, so yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> um, so, and we met at Microsoft as well. So um, understandably, the thought of leaving, it was like really part of me. Um, and that's true, not just of Microsoft, but corporate, uh, a corporate career. Like I really w- was quite scared uh, to be an entrepreneur. But while I say that, 
Um, I worked with many, many consultants during my years at Microsoft and many days over dinner out at events that I was running, I'd sit next to them and I'd say, so you had a corporate career. Like what made you leave your corporate career? So clearly I was interested. Um, and, um, and I knew that there was part of me that wanted to do it. So, um, what made me decide to, that's the question, isn't it? Um, so I was at Microsoft. I, I hit 15 years and actually I never thought I'd be at Microsoft that long, but it's a very stimulating environment and I had lots of opportunities to do a really wide range of things. And at the 15 year point, I thought, oh, wow, this is a long time. I hadn't expected to be here this long. And um, I took a role at that point um, that was talent management director for Western Europe. And I learned so much in every role I had, including that one. But when that role kind of came to an end, I thought, do I want to carry on? Or is this the right time to kind of do something new? And I decided to go. And when I decided to leave, I um, actually, I found quite quickly two clients. Um, I was looking for some activities other corporate roles at the same time, because I thought maybe, maybe I should stay in corporate. Um, but I found two possible clients who said, look, if you go do consulting, um, I would, I'd be a client. And I thought, right, that's enough for me. And I jumped and, and I've never looked back. I really loved it. As you build a business now, you have on your website, 11 associates. At what point did you feel it's time to take on other people or bring them into the mix beneath the B leadership umbrella? Well, that's interesting. So um, for about the first year, I could deliver everything on my own. And frankly, um, while that was empowering, it was a little bit lonely. One of my fears leaving Microsoft was that I wouldn't have the same kind of sense of belonging with other people. And I'm a real extrovert and love relationships and so and love having a community around me. So um so that first year, the scope of the work I was doing was doable by me. Um, but I always knew that I'd actually prefer to work with a community of, of um, coaches and facilitators and professionals. And so um, after that first year, I started getting work that was larger in scope and just started bringing other people into that. And that's just grown as my business has grown. Um, so I'm really fortunate to be in a position where you know, I work with some really amazing clients and do work that, you know, I can bring a whole community of coaches into. So the team, well, the company itself is called B Leadership and the website's b-leadership.com. To what extent is, is leadership the, f the most important thing you develop in client organizations? Well, I'm a real believer that everything starts from the individual. So um, probably you can guess that by the name of the company, but... Um, our mission is to help organizations bring their social purpose to life through their people. And I believe from my 20 years as a leader, 25 years as a leader, and from all the work I do with my clients, that an individual leader has the power to transform the culture around them. And so, um, and so I start there. I think it's really important. So when it comes to marketing the business, then you have 11 associates to some degree there, dependent upon you to 
to bring in substantial work or enough work to keep everything going. How do you market the business, find clients? Because you have obviously on your website uh, some pretty significant brand names. How do you bring a net new business? Well, again, I think it's fortunate, but um, I mentioned that I'm an extrovert and I really love relationships. And I think that is massively beneficial as an entrepreneur and business owner. So um, <laughs> I remember when I started my business, people would say to me that a challenge was like doing business development. And I thought, oh, that sounds really scary because I'm not a good salesperson and I don't know if I'll like business development. But actually, I still don't, I still say I'm not good at sales. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think business development is just relationships. It's about having conversations with people. And I love that. So if I take away, if I strip away kind of the commercial side and just focus on the people and helping people and solving problems and helping people figure out the issues that they have and the best way to resolve those issues, then, um, then I love that. And I enjoy that. And I feel good at that. And that's how most of my clients and my business comes in is, um, is just continuing to focus on that side and being authentic and genuine about it. And then a lot of the work that we get comes through people that we know. Do you do anything like uh, webinars or um, some kind of adverts, Google ads, Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads? I mean, is, have you an actual funnel or is it totally dependent upon uh, word of mouth and, and relationships? Um, I don't do anything explicit. Um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn and have quite a large number of LinkedIn followers. And I like to um, kind of write and post on there and on Instagram just because I think it's important to stay on people's radar and help people know what kinds of topics um, you're interested in and focusing on. Um, I also, like this year, we have a framework of 12 social leadership skills that we use with our clients. And this year I decided that I wanted to try to make progress on a book that I'd love to write, but because um, it doesn't exist and I think it'd be valuable, but I'm, I'm not sure I could get it done. So we decided to um, do research around those 12 skills and we're researching one every month through 2020. And as mostly as an accountability, I try to post about those. Um, but it also helps, you know, my my colleagues and my network know what topics we're focused on. That's interesting. Why is social leadership so important to you? Oh gosh. Um, so I have a strong um, value. I guess it probably came from my parents, truth be told, around uh, social impact and really kind of servant leadership. I'm a real believer in that. I believe in um, acting and leading through action. And, um, and while I was still at Microsoft, I had an opportunity to kind of innovate in that space. And we developed a program that brought together leadership development and corporate social responsibility. And uh, we won some awards for that, and I loved that. And so when I left Microsoft, I thought, you know, of everything I've done in my career, that was the space that I felt like I had the most energy and the most passion 
And so that's what we focus on most in B leadership. And that's why we focus on helping organizations with their social purpose. And you said that social leadership is an emerging leadership style that's needed for success in the modern workplace. Why is that the case, do you think? Well, I mean, there are, there are many, um, many organizations like um, the British Academy and Business Roundtable in the U.S. who are starting to state that publicly, um, that it's not just about profit. It also has to be about purpose and about the impact that organizations are having on society. And I'm just thrilled that there's public and senior level recognition of that. Um, So I think that's a big part um, is just that we don't live in a world where organizations and large corporations can operate and ignore the impact they're having societally. Um, Also, I think I focus on these skills that are needed. Um, There's a lot of change happening in the modern workplace and it's amplified by COVID. You know, I started working on these 12 skills well before COVID, but these skills are all incredibly essential um, now. And um, I think that we work to try to allow people to practice those skills in a safe place um, and become better at them. Okay. So in terms of the direction that you'd like the business to go, you have 11 associates on the website. Do you imagine building the team further? Do you believe in expanding further afield internationally? What is your trajectory looking like if you could wave the magic wand for the next five years? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, So we're already completely international. So that's um, there's no, there's nowhere else to go there. Um, um, so let's see. So I think, um, I have, you know, I'm not, I'm not in this. This is just me personally. I'm not in this to kind of build a business to sell. That's not why I started this business, but I also have a high ambition, um, and believe that the space we're working in is massively important and there's room for growth. And I never want to turn down work from my clients, especially my um, the clients that I have right now. So um, do I think my business will grow in the next five years? Yes. Um, and do I think there's a lot of room to innovate in the space? Yes, absolutely. And while COVID, I mean, a lot of the work we do is highly experiential um, and COVID makes that, that creates new challenges for experiential work. But actually, um, it's allowed us to innovate. We've moved all of our work online um, and we're doing some really interesting things with online experiential learning. And I think if I look forward in the next five years, I don't think that's going to go away. And I expect there'll be more blended learning opportunities and needs Um, and going back to our starting point, you know, action learning is a really great method to support those blended opportunities and and online um, as well. So um, I would love to continue to innovate in social leadership and in offering really amazing uh, blended experiential learning opportunities for people. I'm curious about what you said about transferring things online. What was that like? 
taking what is essentially an experiential model and making this not face-to-face, but but something which transitions nicely to the online world. I mean, being honest here, were there were there struggles with this? Was it was it just a flick switch or switch flick, or was it uh, was there more involved in in actually moving to an online business model? So um, it was challenging in some ways. It's hard to separate out the challenge of what was going on with COVID and what was going on with transforming the business, to be honest. So I, um, I have systemic lupus. Um, I've had it since I was 12 years old. And so the UK has uh, a population called Shielding. Like it had a program called Shielding that asked people who were highly vulnerable to COVID to stay home. And I was in that population and I am in that population. And so um, the risk is really real for me around COVID. And so transforming a business while facing that was hard and continues to be actually quite often. Um, Having said that, going back to the experiential nature of what we were providing, I mean, remember, I was lucky. I had a long career at Microsoft. I had a leader. I had an actual direct manager at Microsoft that I never met in person. Um, and this was way back in like <laughs> 2010 or something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. It was a long time ago when people would never have believed this could be true. But he interviewed me over the phone, hired me, and then left the company before I ever got to meet him. He, he lived in the US and I was here in the UK. And I never met him. So we were really used to doing things virtually. And I was a real believer that you can do amazing things online. And so when COVID hit and we had a program, we were supposed to around the end of May. And um, I mean, I had other things I moved to, but this was probably the biggest one that we shifted. Um, We just sat down and thought through what it would look like to do that in an online world. And the client was courageous and we shifted it. And we made the decision in April, and we delivered it end of May. That's quite quick. Yeah, it was. It was. And it went great. We got amazing feedback on it. So um, I think the hardest part was that we um, offer people really like immersive experiences to go around their action learning work. Action learning was part of it. Now, that part I knew could be virtual. But the immersive experience um, like in the past would have been like, going to a social enterprise restaurant and eating the food that they prepared and meeting the chefs in situ or going into um, a school that's operating in Mumbai in the slums and visiting the school and meeting all the teachers and meeting some of the students. So we were thinking, how do we provide that kind of immersion in this new world. And so we do, we still do. Uh, What we do is we work with our social enterprise partners and really learn kind of what they do and how we can get people to emotionally engage with that um, despite being online. And so in the May event, I was uh, coaching a group that worked with an amazing partner called Human Needs Project that runs a community center in the Kibera slum in Nairobi. And our leader that was presenting a challenge from that organization 
literally took his iPhone and videoed out the window of their building out onto the streets of Kibera um, so that we effectively visited um, Kibera that day. And I wasn't sure how impactful it would be, but I can tell you, oh my goodness, it was like we were there. I, I swear it felt like I had visited Kenya that afternoon and I've been there. So um, I know how powerful it is being there, but I also felt that um, despite being online. Yeah, it's an enormous slum. It, it's just almost a byword for slums. It's, um, I know someone who's been there. They spent a week there. Uh, lack of basic sanitation, lack of all kinds of things. So I think that's where social leadership, to my mind, those two, that rings a big bell. Um, we can't ignore these situations. They're there. Um, people have to put up with this every day. And I've driven past uh, the shanty towns in, in Cape Town as well. And that, that's quite impactful when you see the size of these things. And I did some work in, in Haiti as well. And I worked alongside people who were doing stuff for NGOs. And again, that's breathtaking when you see Port-au-Prince. Um, just, it's just breathtaking, the, the, the situations in which a large majority of the, of the world's population live. And then we think of all the things that we have, plush offices and, and convenient coffee on tap. In the Western world, or, or the developed world, if the, whatever the term is these days, um, we take these things for granted. And I think there's got to be a large role in in connecting what what we have with what they need. I'm not sure if that's how you see social leadership uh, coming to the front or fore of of corporate strategy. I definitely do. And something you said, I, I want to definitely call out is having the perspective. So um, we think that we need leaders who have these perspectives and understand uh, what's going on in the world. So trying to create um, change mindsets and really broaden the perspectives of people is super important if you want them to be able to make good decisions and lead in a good way. Um, so that's a lot of what we try to provide in the experiences we offer. So wrapping up here, someone listening to this thinking, I'm still in corporate, I'm still thinking, is this the right time? 2020 has been a difficult year, people being furloughed. I, I don't think I'd, I, was, I was ever so conscious of the word furlough being used in everyday conversation. What would you say to someone thinking of making that bold, brave leap from the world of corporate, which arguably is not so safe anymore because of uh, what's going on. We can't really predict the near future. And thinking of starting out on their own, their own leadership, resilience, training, brand. What would you say to them listening to this? Well, I think we have one life <laughs> and we need to enjoy that life on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so I guess I would have them question how much they want to do it and how um, what it would be like if they did. Um, because I think that I was scared of a few things before I made that leap and the things I was scared of did not happen. So I was scared I would lose like my sense of pride and, you know, I was really proud of working at Microsoft and I, I was really um, I felt a real sense of belonging there. And I absolutely love my company. I love my clients. I'm still proud of having worked at Microsoft, but I'm proud of all the clients I work with now. Um, I was also worried about financial stability and I've had no issues with that. So I think 
facing your fear and making the leap is a really positive thing to do. And I think there's a lot of work out there and it's about finding your passion, following that passion. And I really think if you do that, um, you can find the business. Yeah. And you can also um, enjoy uh, an amazing experience. I, I can think of all the things I've done that training has opened for me. I've seen countries and met people I would never have met were it not for working for myself and, and uh, training and, and consulting and coaching. It's just, it's a whole new world, isn't it? For some people who have not yet done it. It's, uh, there's life beyond the office. There certainly is. <laughs> Completely agree with you. Shannon, where can people find out more about you and your brand? Um, you can um, go to our website, which is www.be-leadership.com. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram um, and you can find our Instagram on our website at the bottom of the homepage. Um, yeah, start there. You can also follow me, Shannon Banks, on LinkedIn uh, or Be Leadership on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thanks for being our guest this morning on the show. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Shannon for being our guest this morning. I now know more about action learning, and I hope that you do too. You can check out the website. That's wial.org. That's the website for the World Institute for Action Learning, and you can see Shannon's profile on that page. And Shannon's website is b-leadership.com. That's b-e-leadership.com. Great name. And thanks, of course, for your time today. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Training Business Podcast. You have some great ideas. I know you do, and you know you do, so please keep them coming. If you've got ideas for topics, for guests, for particular episodes, please email them to me, and my email address directly is mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read all of my emails and, of course, reply to you personally, and I welcome, of course, criticism or critique about what we can do to make the show better. You can subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, a range of platforms, of course, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. But until next Thursday, when I look forward to your company then, take care, look after yourself. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.